Hi, uh, let's get started. Welcome back to the Hot Politics Lab. And uh, we have not one, but two speakers for you today because it's Graduate Friday, uh, which means we'll have uh, two uh, PhD students from across the world who will uh, present their research on uh, roughly the theme of political psychology, the, the theme that the Hot Politics Lab is uh, all about. Today, we have two speakers, Tobias Wittmann from the Uni uh, European University Institute and uh, Maika Homan from uh, the University of Amsterdam, and they will also speak in that order. Uh, each will talk about uh, 10 minutes and then we'll have a short 10-minute uh, uh, Q&A session with each uh, speaker. And of course, uh, they are all uh, very anxious to hear about your uh, comments to their uh, research. Let me uh, uh, start with introducing the uh, first speaker uh, of today. Uh, Tobias Wittmann, uh, PhD st student at the European University Institute. Uh, he's almost ready and he does not want to share with the world yet where he's going next, but it's going to be a great place, I can assure you of that. And it's not Amsterdam. It's not Amsterdam. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the second best place in the world then. Uh, and... Um, it's, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to this talk because it will be about windmills and uh, the moral uh, emotional language uh, that is used uh, regarding the discussion on windmills, which is extremely relevant for uh, me personally, because uh, I'm very close to my house, uh, they're uh, planning to build a huge windmill. And uh, even though uh, almost everyone in this neighborhood either votes the green left party or the animal rights party or whatever, they're all opposed to this windmill. So my neighborhood is full with against windmill posters. And uh, so um, uh, I think uh, uh, I'm looking forward to what you have to say about this uh, topic, Tobias. So without further uh, delays, I want to yield the floor to you. And um, yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm happy I have such a suitable topic then for today. Um, let me share my uh, screen. I hope you can see my screen. Um, so thank you so much for the opportunity of presenting here today. Um, I'm a PhD student at the European University Institute and my PhD topic um, mostly focuses on political rhetoric um, employed by parties and politicians with a special focus on emotional rhetoric employed. Um, um, and this is a work in progress. So I would really like to hear um, your opinions about it, what you think, some feedback. Um, it's about climate change and the impact of wind turbines on a strategic emotional discourse. So um, <clears throat> the green issues like environment, climate change, global warming have become more and more salient in recent years. On the one hand, among um, the public, more and more citizens are concerned about climate change and about the consequences of climate change, but also in political campaigns. So parties increasingly compete over environmental topics. And it has moved from being a balance issue to being a more controversial topic where the ideology shapes um, party strategies. So of course, green parties are the clear issue owners here, but there are other party families that increasingly address climate change, that increasingly address the environment as a whole. For example, on the one hand, we have left-wing parties that more and more address green issues because they um, green parties are more credible threat to their um, electoral base, basically, and in order to minimize vote loss, they more and more also address green issues. On the other hand, we have um, research showing that in, in many European countries, the radical right, which in the past, of course, mobilizes a lot on immigration, also increases uh, increasingly discovers the topic of environment as a topic to um, mobilize support on. And their communication is, of course, 
um, largely characterized by skepticism towards climate change, especially towards human-made climate change. And they also directly oppose um, climate change mitigation policies, for example, re uh, renewable energies or uh, wind turbines. Um, so I argue that there's this political co conflict over climate change and the construction of new additional wind turbines might make this um, political conflict more pronounced. So it increases the salience of climate change, of global warming among the, among the public and thereby also offers an electoral opportunity to, for parties to adapt their mobilization strategies and basically maximize um, their electoral support. Last um, prior, prior research on uh, party competition focused mostly on issue saliency or issue position, but there's also some um, strand of literature that argues that um, emotional rhetoric should be taken into consideration here, that parties can use emotional rhetoric strategically. And there is, of course, a growing strand of literature that looks at um, uh, the usage of uh, emotional appeals. And uh, I would like to make the point also in this paper that I'm presenting here today that it's also important to look at discrete emotions because emotions, as you uh, might know, have diver can have diverging um, political consequences. Especially, for example, when it comes to their relation to morality and, and morality and moral emotions have been found to be very important actually also for climate change and can persuade um, people change opinions. So I'm basically looking here at moral emotions. Um, um, moral emotions are emotions that are linked to violations of the social order or the social norms, for example, anger and disgust. And these are the emotions that I'm focusing on in my paper. They're, they are other condemning moral emotions so they can be used to attack political opponents that are being accused of immoral behavior. And they are also directly linked to a specific moral foundations. So this theory basically assumes that there are five different moral foundations that basically um, determine our, the moralities in our world and experiencing certain emotions can strengthen or amplify moral judgments, but mostly specific to um, moral concerns that are related to the appraisal tendencies of a specific emotion. I can give you an example. For example, disgust is mostly linked to the moral concern of purity. It can be triggered by impure behavior. It can amplify um, the, the severity of moral judgments when it comes to impure actions and can also moralize actions that otherwise would have been uh, considered as immoral. And uh, importantly, disgust is also uh, is, is mostly related, as I said before, to this kind of uh, purity concern and not to other moral concerns. Anger, on the other hand, another moral con um, emotion is more linked to other moral concerns, for example, harm or fairness, um, and predicts stronger moral judgments when it comes to those um, moral concerns. It also has been found to mobilize people, um, for example, to fight against uh, justice-restoring policies. So uh, the last point that I would make to make before I come to my hypotheses is that not all moral foundations resonate with everyone, right? So there's this theory that argues that liberals um, have more intuitions primary, have the moral intuitions primarily based on harm and justice and moral concerns. Political conservatives normally use all five uh, moral foundations more equally. Um, however, an important point to make is that research shows that purity concern is particularly important when it comes to climate change for conservatives. So in order for moral messages about climate change to be persuasive, the moral concern raised should resonate with the target group. And that brings me to my hypotheses. I have an anger hypothesis where I basically argue that left-wing parties should use anger um, because it's related to the moral concerns of harm and justice, and they are basically um, uh, resonating with their liberal, more liberal um, uh, partisan group uh, supporter base. Uh, on the other hand, I have the opposite 
um, or like a, a, a different hypothesis for the radical right. It is, I expect also to mobilize against um, wind turbines, basically using disgust appeals because this is connected to the moral concern of purity, which resonates um, better with um, their um, partisan base. So to answer those hypotheses, to, answer, to check those hypotheses, I take a look at the case of Germany and I use this difference in difference design where I basically um, perceive the construction of a uh, new wind turbine in an electoral district as treatment. Um, you can see on the left the map of Germany and the different electoral districts and the ones with green, the, the green uh, districts have experienced at least uh, have experienced the construction of at least one um, new uh, wind turbine. Um, and then I basically connect this information on wind turbines with parliamentary speeches to see how do parliamentary speeches or how do the speeches of politicians change um, once a wind turbine has been built in their electoral district. Due to the German electoral system, I can assign um, MPs, most of the MPs to specific um, electoral districts. Um, and then I go swiftly over the analysis. Um, I it's basically consists of three steps. First of all, I use topic models to identify speeches that address the environment or climate change, because I assume that my hypothesis mostly holds for um, speeches on climate change or environment. Then I um, measure emotions using machine learning classifiers that I trained on using crowd coding data that can measure different uh, discrete emotions. And then I use a two-way fixed effects regression model with actor and time effects to kind of control for unserved, uh, unobserved um, variables and changes over time. So now going to the results, before I come to the main results, I'm gonna present you what I found with the topic modeling. So this is a, a lot, but these are basically just different um, typical um, topics of debate and parliamentary uh, debates. They go, range from the European Union migration to budget discussions, but I also identified two um, uh, topics that deal with climate change. So this one deals with environment more general. Number eight talks about forest, water, the environment, but also agriculture. And then the topic number 20 deals more specifically with climate change and renewable energy. If you take a look at how different parties talk about those topics or to which extent they talk about those topics, you can clearly see the Greens here have the highest salience of, for example, the climate change topic in their in their speeches, um, uh, and there are not really significant differences between the other parties. And you can also see how um, the effect of the treatment, basically, you can see that treated MPs are more likely to talk about uh, climate change and renewable energies, which makes sense um, compared to untreated um, MPs. Um, here you can also see um, how the focus on um, climate change and or like the focus on green issue increases uh, for treated MPs. They are more associated with this green issues to climate change and the environment compared to all the other issues. Um, so they are they're basically they're focusing more on um, these kind of green issues and less on issues such as in, uh, the welfare, housing, crime and so on. Also migration. Um, okay, so now I would come to the analysis of uh, the emotional rhetoric and how emotional rhetoric changes um, once um, uh, MP is um, uh, basically treated. You can see here the analysis for two emotions, the anger for anger and for disgust, and for two parties. You can see it for the Greens and for the AFD, which is, uh, I forgot to mention earlier, the, the radical right party in Germany. Um, so you can see that the Greens are increasing uh, appeals to anger um, per uh, approximately 1.8% per additional wind turbine, but not for disgust. And you can see the opposite for the AFD, for the radical right party. You can see that they are increasing disgust appeals, but they do not increase um, 
uh, anger and peel. So this is kind of confirming what I expected. Um, however, the anger hypothesis is only partly confirmed. I also expected that other um, left-wing parties um, would change the emotional rhetoric, but they do not. So um, this analysis, uh, the, the results really focusing on um, the Greens and on the AFD, that the, the only parties or the, the MPs from the only two parties that change their emotional rhetoric. Um, also, it's only anger and disgust. Other emotions that I measured, for example, fear and sadness um, do not change. There's no impact on, on the usage of um, fear or sadness. So quickly, before I finish, um, um, I also went qualitatively into the data because I wanted to see, do they, those emotional appeals also really um, link, uh, are, they, are they really linked to uh, those moral appeals as I su uh, suspected them to be? So for the radical right, I find that they, of course, increase appeals to disgust. Um, they use disgust uh, language such as, such as disgusting, repellent, but also from the moral dimension using words such as betrayal and immoral. But they link those two appeals to the moral concern of purity. This is what I basically expected, the purity of the body, the purity of the mind, but also the purity of the natural order. So they talk about, for example, wind turbines to in, um, basically makes people suffer from crueling light reflections, but they also call them animal shredders that are killing millions of birds and insects. They are destroying forests and they, they are also um, destroying the purity of our land. And they are also apparently destroying the purity of our minds because they turn environmentalists, as they call them, into members of religious cults that are being brainwashed and that are forcing children to participate in, uh, for example, the Fridays for Future movement. So this is like almost like this conspiracy theories. Uh, theories. And um, they call themselves the sole protectors of the natural order of life in our society. So they really frame it in this kind of purity sense that renewable energy and environmentalists kind of destroy the purity of our land, the purity of our bodies, but also the purity of our uh, minds. On the other side, we have the green framing. They use, of course, words related to uh, anger, angry, mad, furious, um, but um, they uh, link those um, um, emotional words to more concerns of harm and justice. So they often talk about um, injustices that are being caused from uh, their political opponents by, for example, delaying the transition to renewable energies. This is like injustice caused to workers, to the economy in general, injustice to people who have to move houses because of coal mining, um, injustices to the poorest in our country, but also harm that is being done to people around the world. Um, for instance, people who then have to flee their countries and then increases num increasing numbers coming to uh, Europe. And they also um, um, talk about harm that is being done to future generations. So um, to our children, grandchildren and so on. So to conclude, I find basically the strongest supporters and the strongest opponents of wind turbines go, go negative. They use moral emotions that are linked to moral concerns that uh, I argue uh, or have been found to resonate with their individual uh, supporter base. Um, this of course has implications for public opinion because arguments combined with moral appeals that resonate among the target group can be highly um, persuasive. Um, it has implications for voting, for political activism, it can have also implications for a healthy democracy. Um, negative moral emotions can make politicians appear less open-minded and less worthy of political conversation. It has also been argued that um, negative moral rhetoric can lead to false polarization. That basically means that differences between ideological camps are perceived as, as larger than they actually are. So this is basically everything for now. Thank you so much. <laughs> 
Okay, thank you, uh, Tobias. This is uh, great. Um, now, uh, uh, those of you who are listening and have a question for Tobias, they can type their question in the Q&A box and then uh, I will um, read out the question. Um, and uh, there's already a question from Christian. Uh, so Christian has the right to speak, so he can actually uh, say hey, Tobias. Hi. Thanks for the presentation. Really cool stuff. Um, uh, I want to start with a very, very, very simple question. Um, how did you choose the, the topic number yeah. for your topic model of 25? It seems so. It seems very low to me. It seems very based on my experience with that data set. It seems low. very low to me. Ah, okay. Based um, based on my experience with that data set. Okay, um, I did it basically by trying out different numbers. I mean, there's also this feature in the SDM package that helps you, but it's very hard for me to interpret. I did it basically um, by trying out different numbers and see if those uh, topics make sense. So if I went uh, below 25, I could see how topics that I would distinguish were mixed into word clusters. Um, if I went above 25, I could see that no new meaningful clusters were um, added at least from my interpretation. So I found that the, the middle way would be uh, the 25, uh, which I found the most uh, meaningful. Uh, yeah, I don't know if, what your experience is. Uh. I, was, I was just surprised because when, when I was using that on with the German yeah. pulse speech data, these um, LDA mm -hmm. fit measures like perplexity or log mm -hmm. likelihood, they also had suggested yeah. much, much higher numbers of topics like in the range of wow. like 90 or 100 topics. Okay. Um, so I'm, so I'm yeah, just curious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So basically, mine was basically largely based on my own interpretation of topics um, and how I thought it's like meaningful clusters. Um, also, of course, if the clusters become too, or like the topic groups become too small, then I can't. If it's only a few speeches per um, per, per topic group, then it's of course hard to um, run analysis on them because I, of course, run my analysis only on uh, speeches re, um, belonging to the environment. And, and environmental topics so yeah um but i i can i i would take a look into this um, and see thank you so much the next question is from paul miners um very interesting approach did you look at the emotional language in all speeches or only in speeches related to your topic uh your topic 20 the climate change and environmental topic why would wind turbines influence emotional rhetorics uh, on unrelated political topics. Hmm. Yeah, so I basically applied the ampli so the results that you saw in my presentation was only the results for speeches related to environment and climate change. So um, this is basically a subset of the whole um, speeches that I have. Um, and I applied, of course, the machine learning classifiers to the whole data set as well. So to speeches that are unrelated to um, 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 environmental topics, uh, and um, I do not find any um, 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 real effects there. Sometimes I find um, a barely significant coefficient, and I have to in look into this if this is somehow related or if this is just uh, somehow uh, by accident. Um, I have to take a look into this, but mostly the results are basically very stable for only for speeches regarding climate change and um, environment in general, and not for other topics. Yes, thank you. Uh, the next question is from Matthijs Rodan. Uh, thanks, Tobias. Interesting study. Two questions. Well, let's do one at a time. Uh, you find that 
other left-wing parties than the Greens do not change their emotional framing. Could that be because they employ an old left strategy, in other words, focused on economic issues? Mm -hmm. So they increase, I haven't shown this graph in the presentation, but they increase the saliency of environmental topics as well. Um, so I ran this, if you remember when I showed the results of the topic model, um, 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 the MPs that were treated um, did increase the salience of environmental issues. Um, um, and this, I, I also ran this analysis by parties, divided by parties, and I can see that the left, um, especially left-wing parties and the radical right, not uh, mainstream right parties, uh, increase the salience of environmental issues. So they increase uh, the salience of environmental issues, but they do not um, change the emotional rhetoric. Um, so, yeah, if this is answers your question. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, okay. Uh, the second question from Matthijs is this, does the AFD uh, also make econ economic anti-turbine arguments like no money to these crazy wind turbine projects? Um, I haven't really uh, found, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, they talk about that uh, green energy is inefficient, yes, and therefore a waste of money. They also do those uh, arguments. Um, but really, um, the majority of the arguments that I found um, is um, related to destruction of natural order or like the, the destruction of nature destroys forests and kills animals. So the animal um, focus is very much in the, uh, in, in the majority of arguments that I find. Um, many uh, speeches refer to animals being killed by wind turbines. But they also refer to um, yeah, wind energy and renewable energy as unstable because wind apparently not always blows and um, then uh, it creates difficulties for the economy. So this is one part, but I would, by, uh, would say by far it's not the, 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 the focus of far right um, framing. Great. Uh, next question is from Isabella Ribasso. Hi, Tobias. Thanks a lot for this presentation. Interesting stuff. I'm wondering. Uh, this. I assume the Greens are in favor of windmills. What do you suspect is the mechanism that links the construction of windmills to increase ang anger about climate injustice or poverty? Or is the Green anger a defense to the AFD's opposition to windmills? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so my, my mechanism that I believe is that wind turbines is, of course, just like a, like, wind turbines make the whole debate of climate change, right? And the whole debate of global warming more salient. So it's not only, I believe this anger because I find this anger also for topic eight, which is not specifically focused on wind turbines, it's uh, environment in general. So it makes the whole, I believe the whole topic of environment more salient. And um, then the Greens basically, a lot of the anger that came from the Greens was basically to attack uh, their opponents. The government on the one hand that is apparently slowing down because I have to say that the Greens are in opposition in Germany. So they attack the government um, for slowing down the process of moving to green energy, the transition to green energy. But they also attack um, um, the AFD, for example, but also the liberals. So basically they attack all the other parties um, for not doing enough, for blocking, for delaying the process of um, um, the process of the transition to green and renewable energy. And this is the link basically that they make between anger to the injustice because this delay in um, um, the transition to renewable energy causes injustice as I presented in the, uh, in the presentation to people around the world, to future generations, to the poorest in our country. Um, so it's clearly 
from what I found an attack um, for the basically the policy positions of, of the other parties in Parliament. Yes, the next Gijs has a question. Yeah, I, I have two comments for you, uh, Tobias. I think I think Thanks. this is a great uh, uh, paper, but uh, and then there are two things that 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 I think you you should um, you should think about if you haven't done so already, of course. Um, <clears throat> so first, and that's more a response to what you just said. Um, what I don't really get is why treated politicians from the Green Party would be more angry about the lack of government actions than untreated politicians. Wouldn't the untreated politicians actually uh, argue for a windmill in their territory, right? So they, they should be the ones then more angry, perhaps. Or is it perhaps a problem here that there may not be a lot of Green Party um, members elected on the, the, the local lists, particularly in East Germany, where I also saw a number of untreated uh, 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 um, politicians, uh, areas, I mean. So that's something to think about. And the second thing is regarding your procedure to go from uh, to first identify topic and then the moral, um, <clears throat> the moral sentiment, uh, the moral emotional uh, language. Uh, a potential problem there is that if we assume that each speech is only about one topic, that we are also selecting on, on the language that the, on, on the texts that used wind turbines. Because for example, I can imagine that somebody would mention wind turbines in passing when discussing geopolitics, right? So you, you, could, just, you could say like, we should build more wind turbines uh, uh, because of the geopolitical situation and we don't wanna be dependent on Russia, et cetera. So that's an argument for wind turbines but that speech may end up in the geopolitics section and thereby remains so, unanalyzed. Okay, so basically then I should basically not only take those two topic groups into consideration, right, in my analysis. Yeah, I mean, um, I think much easier, or at least as a robustness check, you could see if, if you just simply look for wind turbine mentions. Yeah, so basically or, more or using like a list of keywords. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you so much. This is uh, really great. Um, yeah, uh, one comment about the treated uh, and the untreated, you're right. I haven't actually thought about it in this way at all. Um, the way I saw it was um, that receiving treatment increases the salience of these issues in the mind of the public and therefore parties adapt their you know, their mobilization strategies, their rhetoric and so on. But you're right. Um, yeah, I have to look into this. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Christian, you also had another question. Um, yeah, um, some of it was actually covered by what Reis just said, but I was also wondering about the geographic clustering of MPs. Mm -hmm. So aren't most AfD MPs that come from the local lists clustered in East Germany and most so the thing is green MPs clustered in West Germany and might that influence mm -hmm. it? And my other comment would be, um, wouldn't it make probably more sense to select speeches based on the agenda of the debate? So, sorry, I didn't understand the last one. Wouldn't it make Wouldn't it be easier to select speeches based on the agenda of the debate? So you would So you would basically look at all the speeches of a day that 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 covers the topic of of, of energy or wind turbines In instead of just picking speeches that directly mention or are directly clustered or directly classified as being about wind turbines by your topic model. But why do you think that would make a difference? 
if I may ask. Because I assume that speeches um, that are before or after a speech that is classified as being about wind turbines will also be about wind turbines, mm. even without mentioning uh, the word wind turbines or any mm. uh, technical reference to wind turbines. Yeah, I'll take I'll take a look into that. So, yeah, yeah, thank you. And about the east-west differences. So the thing is, I I have not only um, chosen the political like the MPs that uh, have won a direct electoral district because it's like this first past poll uh, system for the for the electoral district, but also MPs that made it into the parliament anyways, for example, via the state lists, and then were still assigned to because they are still assigned to a home um, to a home district. So I also have AFD politicians in uh, in in Western Germany. But you're right, I should include a, uh, probably a, a control for the East-West uh, differences. This is already on my list and I will do it um, next. Thank you so much. Great, I think with uh, that said, we'll go over to the next speaker, Mike Holman. Gijs, do you introduce Mike? What should I say? We all know her. <laughs> I think uh, Maike is the the person with the most presentations in the Hot Politics Lab, which is of course meant as a compliment. Uh, and I also know for sure that uh, uh, she has heard our comments on what she will present many, many times. So I think she's particularly looking forward to what other people think of this. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so uh, for those of you uh, who haven't seen Mikey yet, she's a PhD student in the Hot Politics Lab at the uh, University of Amsterdam. And uh, I will, uh, um, yeah, I'll just yield the floor to you, Mike. Yes, thanks, guys. I will uh, share my screen. Can you see it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, so I'm PhD at the Hot Politics Lab and another presentation for me again. <laughs> now, not about mimicry, but uh, about something different. So uh, my PhD project mostly focuses on how people respond to the emotions of politicians and especially nonverbal uh, communication and nonverbal expressions of emotions. And in a previous study, I've really looked at emotional contagion and mimicry, so how people respond emotionally. And I always got the question, uh, what about gender of the politician? Uh, does that play a role? So I also was very intrigued by that question. And uh, in a course I was teaching, I had some students who were also interested in that. So we uh, run a, a pilot study and also a, a, an actual study. And I will show some results um, uh, of that study. And I will present a pre-analysis plan of uh, a second study. So yeah, I hope you uh, can give me some useful feedback. Yeah, so um, the project is about uh, perception of emotions of uh, female versus uh, male politicians. So yeah, I probably don't have to tell that a lot of female uh, politicians receive a lot of negative criticism uh, when showing emotions or too little emotions or too much emotions. Um, especially in social media, everyone has a lot of attention and focus on, on these uh, emotions show, shown by uh, female politicians. And also in literature, they found that people often have these negative reactions to uh, female politicians showing uh, especially dominant emotions, so, such as uh, anger, but also uh, disgust or contempt. And um, so when female politicians show, for example, anger, uh, people generally perceive it as less appropriate. Um, they evaluate the politician as uh, yeah, lower. 
less competent and they attribute it to their personality instead of uh, the, the situation like the debate and uh, yeah in general when female politicians show emotions or don't show emotions um, they're often criticized of being too emotional or really too cold um, so a lot of negative reactions um, there's also a study by Brooks and that shows that um, in general in her study she finds that there's not a difference between a male and female politicians that if both show anger or sadness that people uh, penalize them at same levels um, but they found an effect uh, specifically for women so women um, punish female candidates for showing uh, yeah a lot of these emotions anger but also sadness um, so in general there's a lot of negative reactions to these emotions expressed and uh, we want to uh, investigate and examine this more and especially look at um, take sort of a step back and see whether this is already present in, in like really the perception of this emotion so do we already when we just see a female politician or a male politician um, does our, our, our uh, yeah, biases already influence how intense we perceive this emotion and does this maybe then also lead to all the negative criticism um, so yeah, in general, uh, if you look into the psychology literature, there is already a, a bias in gender of in, in emotion perception and gender. So men in general are perceived as angrier than women and women are often perceived as more happy. So say you have a, a man and a woman and they're displaying both uh, an angry expression, um, but the same level of intensity. In general, people perceive um, the anger of the the man more intense is angrier than uh, a woman and uh, the same goes for happiness but then mostly for women and this this link between um, angry men and happy women has been found in all kinds of different studies using different uh, methods and there are basically two sort of explanations so the first one is that facial features uh, overlap with expression so men often have more ma masculine features in their face so uh, Thick and thicker and lower eyebrows, and that's also more um, yeah, closer uh, related to uh, the anger expression. Whereas for women, they have more uh, baby face features, more feminine faces, more rounded faces, and that is more similar to uh, happy expression. And then, of course, there's this, this uh, other explanation. Um, of course, this, the stereotype that we have about men and women also play a role how we expect them to behave and also emotions are, of course, um, especially anger is, a, is really a signal of dominance, whereas happiness is more of a signal of affiliation and warmth. So therefore, in general, men are seen as more dominant and more uh, higher hierarchy uh, roles that there's also this expectation or uh, acceptance that they show anger, whereas women are, um, it's less accepted to show anger, but more uh, happiness and warm and more sociable uh, signals and emotions. Um, so a lot of this work is done by Ursula Hess and colleagues, and she also has this model in one of her papers, and she basically says it's it's just not this only the gender, but it's actually perceptance of dominance that is mediating this, this uh, bias in this emotion perception. So um, being a, a woman, you have uh, le um, more feminine features, which makes uh, the perceptions of you uh, less dominant, which makes other people think that you are less uh, expected to show anger. Um, and then the question is, uh, in politics, women and men have both high status. So what if you, uh, the perceptions of dominance or the information about dominance is different? So men and women are same level of dominance. How does this then uh, influence our emotion perception? And um, so this general emotion bias 
we suspect that it will, will change um, when both men and women are in the same similar dominant position. So um, in some studies, uh, they find that when you uh, use the same faces, same facial features, but different hairstyles for, uh, to indicate gender, the women are actually perceived angrier. And um, in a study, a vignette study, um, in which they describe a, a woman or a man uh, in a dominant or non-dominant position, uh, in general, they expect uh, uh, similar levels of anger in when both men and women are in the same dominant position. Um, so there could be, uh, instead of this men angry, happy, uh, women happy, it could be the case that, that uh, when they're in dominant position, it sort of changes, it becomes equal, or uh, women are perceived as more, more angry. And also, just based on all these negative um, reactions that especially female politicians get, um, yeah, it's, it's probably uh, could be that, that, that female politicians are perceived as more angry since it's against the stereotype. Therefore, people are very sensitive to uh, yeah this this violation of the stereotype, and therefore also perceive it as uh, more intense compared to to men. So we did a pilot study uh, with some students um, who did a great job on that, and we found very interesting results. So uh, we found that in um, um, yeah we, we just also showed neutral expressions, both male and female politicians, and then we found no difference in anger perception. But when um, the male and female politicians looked angry. So in the anger condition, we found that female politicians were perceived as more angry than uh, male politicians. Uh, and uh, so that's why we uh, formulated these hypotheses. And we also wanted to look into, uh, in the, the big study this uh, on MTurk, we wanted to, to see whether the participant gender also would play a role. So what we did is we run a study on uh, Amazon Turk, 195 uh, participants. Um, we took uh, portrait pictures of the UK members of parliaments and House of Lords, um, which are uh, really good quality pictures with uh, um, copyright, good copyright issues here, so you're allowed to use them and manipulate them. And um, what we did is we selected politicians that look neutral on their original picture. And we also checked it with face reader, whether face reader would also recognize it as neutral. And um, then what we did is we uh, uh, manipulated the action units. I've talked already always about action units, so I hope you all know what that means. So all these different muscles in the face, and we manipulated those that are related to anger. And um, we had 10 female politicians and 10 male politicians. Um, and we added two pictures of, of politicians smiling, so that it was not so clear that we were really looking into uh, yeah, just neutral and angry expressions, uh, just to disguise uh, our interest. So we had a pool of pictures and we made sure that the uh, neutral um, picture was not, the, the same politician was not seen in both neutral or angry. So if it was already seen in the neutral condition, it would not be, uh, would not appear in the angry condition. And then, um, yeah, participants uh, rated the pictures on a scale, cider scale, which we took from uh, Ursula Hess's work. Uh, on different emotions. So in the neutral condition, um, we actually find that there's no difference between uh, anger perception. So you find more the general um, uh, emotion bias, uh, in gender bias and emotion perception. So what you can see is that men are perceived pretty neutral and uh, women um, mostly more happy. And um, if we go to the angry condition, uh, we see that um, uh, the, the pictures, the anger condition are perceived as more angry. 
um, the manipulation of the, the anger is quite subtle. So therefore, it's it's not like a full-blown anger expression. It's subtle, so that still looks uh, realistic. Um, therefore, um, also the, the anger scores are not super high. Um, and also, besides that, anger is, of course, also an emotion that is harder to recognize than, for example, happiness, which is just basically a smile. Um, so often what you see is that when people rate these anger expressions, they also rate it quite high on other negative emotions. But interestingly, what we can see is that not men are seen as more angry, what is expected from like the non-dominant uh, uh, literature and psychology, but it's actually uh, equal uh, based on these uh, 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 means. And what we see, for example, for disgust, that females are, female politicians are rated as more, uh, looking more disgusting or expressing more disgust. <laughs> and that um, men are, um, uh, perceived as, as showing more sadness, which is actually interesting because that's also the other way around because normally disgust is an emotion that's more easily recognized in men because it's also a more masculine emotion and sadness is more a submissive, vulnerable emotion, so more recognized with uh, women. So there you see actually sort of this, this uh, flip of this uh, effect in the emotion perception. So based on the, the means, you can see that their uh, anger is actually perceived equally. But um, what we found is that a lot of different politicians are rated uh, quite differently. So some are uh, low on anger, but some are really high on anger. Still, the, all the anger pictures were rated more angry than the neutral pictures. So what we wanted to do is control for just the individual uh, politicians. And there we do that, we actually find a very strong effect of politicians, female politicians being perceived as more angry than men. Um, and we don't find an effect of, of gender to participants. And yeah, just uh, a side note, I also calculated the, the facial width height ratio. So that's also an index of how, how dominant uh, a face is perceived based on this, or um, yeah, index on the face, facial features. So often uh, a high facial um, width uh, height ratio is related to higher dominance uh, um, perceptions. And we see indeed that male politicians with a, uh, have a, a correlation with this ratio of 0.42. So it's really high. So the higher this ratio, is, which is an indication of dominance, so the higher uh, this, this facial feature, the more angry they look, which is high for, for men, but for women, you see it's quite low. And there it could be that, that actually the, the perception of dominance is mostly driven by the fact that they're a politician. So just an interesting uh, side note. Um, so, um, the limitations of this study, um, we are not sure whether uh, it was really clear that um, our participants were realized that we're, they were looking at politicians. So therefore we want to um, improve that. And secondly, we think um, when we also look at the difference between the neutral condition and the angry condition and how like the difference in anger perception, we see in general that female politicians um, score higher uh, in that difference score, but uh, it's, only a small difference and we base our effect size to calculate the power for the study on quite a, a medium effect size but we think that it might be a, a smaller effect size than um, we anticipated so therefore we think it's good to have a more powerful uh, sample so for the second study um, we want to run it probably again on mturk with a bigger sample and in this case we really want to um, emphasize that it's uh, about politicians and what we want to do is um, have another condition in which we compare non-politicians and politicians to really see that if you use the same pictures and present them, 
and uh, in a non-dominant uh, position or at least uh, just ordinary individuals that then men in general would be perceived as more angry whereas when we put them in a uh, both men and women in a uh, dominant position so say that they're both uh, politicians that then this flips or changes so therefore we have a politician condition and non-politician condition for female and male and then um, we want to do the team between subjects because um, yeah, the pictures are uh, then really similar, so we don't want to want to make sure that people are really uh, don't really notice that, that basically the same uh, people are used, but then for one are, are politicians and one are supposedly not politicians. So um, yeah, we want to make sure that, that that is clear. And what we thought is that some of these uh, yeah, it's really are our, uh, our, uh, portrait pictures, so you see with especially the men in the suits. So what we thought would be better is to really crop the face, as I have, uh, have an example here. So I hope you can also tell me whether this, if I present these pictures as non-politicy, but just normal people, whether this is convincing. And um, we want to use the same set of stimuli to really replicate or at least um, keep the, the design as simple as possible so that we can really figure out whether, uh, yeah, what is, what is actually going on? Is it, equal levels of, of uh, anger perception or are women actually perceived more angry. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy and look forward to your uh, feedback and uh, thank you for your attention. Thank you, uh, Maaike. Um, as Gijs already indicated, uh, uh, we have uh, given a lot of uh, uh, comments already on this project. So uh, ideally, I'd open the floor here for uh, other people uh, to ask their questions uh, to Mikey. You can do this by typing your uh, your question in the Q&A box. In the meantime, we might be also looking at Tobias or Christian if they already have a question. I do have a clarification question. Um, sure. On this one graph, you showed that men are perceived as more sad, right? And what was the explanation again that you gave? Why do you think that is? Yeah, so in general, um, the idea is that once um, men and women in, are in similar dominant positions, then um, uh, emotions that are typically male are more um, yeah, perceived when both men and women are in the same. Uh, so normally, uh, sadness is, is an is a emotion that's more uh, perceived by women or more expressed by women because it's yeah, sadness uh, is sort of a sign of, of vulnerability. So you would think that men in general uh, show that less. So the idea is when you put both of them in the, in, in the same position, then the stereo a stereotypical um, behavior such as showing sadness for men, it becomes then sort of heightened, I think. Um, but the, the underlying process is still quite uh, difficult to grasp, grasp still, but there seems to be some sort of flipping of emotion perception uh, once the dom level of dominance is, is changed. Okay, thank you, Tobias. There's a question from Patrick Stewart. Welcome, Patrick. Good morning to you. Uh, this is so very cool. I have a question regarding the AUs or action units manipulated and to what level. Relatedly, do you think that men and women have different anger repertoires? So two questions, Micah. Uh, one ah. is uh, 
what action units are you have you manipulated and to what extent and the second question is uh is there maybe a different anger for men and women yeah yeah great questions yeah uh, thanks patrick yeah so um i have to really think hard which action units i manipulated because there are so many uh, but I especially manipulated the action units um, that are really most pronounced with uh, anger. So the ones with the eyebrows, and really um, also the corrugator muscle, basically. Um, and yeah, um, what I did is I have these, um, you have this program called uh, Face Gen, in which you can really alter these, uh, these um, action units. And I based it on just basically Paul Ackman's work for uh, anger. And um, so basically the, the, uh, the eyebrows, but also uh, pressed lips. Um, those were, I, I think, most visible. I also manipulated something with eyelids, but I think, don't think you can really see that. Um, and I, what, I, what we did is that most of the pictures are all manipulated in the same level. So you can create a continuum with this program WebMorph from um, completely not angry to very angry. And what we did is that we, um, try to yeah, push it so far until it would not be realistic anymore, um, but all around the intensity of 50%. Uh, so that's all pictures with some are maybe 51 and some are a little bit, bit lower or higher. But uh, that is basically how we manipulated uh, the anger. And yeah, the second question, whether um, there's differences in the repertoire of anger, I think definitely uh, yes. Um, in general, anger can be expressed in so many different ways. So um, I think there's also some studies showing that men in general show really this, maybe this expression and also um, in voice and, and women do more by uh, in their language or at least don't express it as much, but can still experience the same similar levels of, of anger. Yeah, so that, yeah, there might be different ways in, in, in which people express anger and there might be also gender differences in that. But in this study, yeah, we wanted to, of course, make it sort of comparable. That's why we use this kind of method. But yeah, anger is it's a complex emotion, especially with in expression, nonverbal expression, because it's not just only the expression. You can express it in different ways. But I hope in this way, with the action units, it's still a way to capture this uh, bias in emotion perception. Okay. Next question is from Tobias Rohrbach. Super interesting. Uh, Nicole Bauer argues that stereotype activation acts as a mechanism triggering or not gender stereotypical evaluations. Maybe the explicit reference to politicians pre prevents stereotype activation to some degree. Tobias is wondering what your thoughts are on this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great question. And I'll definitely look up also that uh, literature. Um, yeah, so I think, indeed, that's, uh, that's also what some of these, uh, I think, Brooks said, that the, the fact that uh, that sort of status overrules maybe the general stereotype of, of uh, emotion, expression, and gender. So indeed, just the fact that you say uh, these are politicians, this might lead to a different stereotype um, and overrule maybe the, the salience of this gender difference. And I'm also definitely, I, I now I'm thinking of it, I should also look into the general um, uh, stereotype of male versus female politicians. And um, yeah, it's, it's indeed in in a good uh, um, question or comments. And I, I do think it's, that's sort of the, also part of the mechanism that 
indeed the, the uh, stereotype of politicians sort of overrules the stereotype of general emotion perception and gender. Okay, there's still some time for uh, additional questions. Can I can I fill up the time with a quick question? Yes, absolutely, Gijs. Um, you looked at facial with the height ratio, and before you also looked at um, I forgot the exact name, but uh, something like the the fe some, something femininity of the face. These don't. These are not the same, right? Do they actually correlate or? I, I haven't checked it. It was okay. just more that I found this, this facial width height ratio in this program yesterday. I thought like, hey, just okay. let's see uh, what that um, is. But yeah, so I also have used previously uh, a measure of masculinity. And this is based on um, someone, a, a colleague of the one that created, the researcher created the Webmore. So where you can uh, manipulate these, these uh, emotions. Um, and in that it's called it's an R package called face fun and there uh, you can calculate based on the, the facial landmarks uh, how masculine and feminine and I think that's different because it takes into account uh, for example the roundness of the face and uh, yeah thickness of eyebrows and um, uh, big eyes versus small eyes that kind of stuff whereas this this ratio takes into account really the, the, the width and the height of the really this part of the face is really this triangle of, your, of your, the face. So uh, it's, it's, I think it's different, but it probably should be correlated because both um, are uh, like the higher score, the more perceived dominance uh, um, people see. So yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm also I'm interested in including these um, also in the in the with the data just to see what the relationships are and. Um, yeah, what it does to the, the uh, perception effect. I also have a question, Mike. Um, your other study that you've presented here a couple of times in facial mimicry uh, shows that partisanship is an important factor conditioning uh, the extent to which we mimic politicians. Um, now you say, yeah, the question I always got was gender, but are we not missing here in this equation partisanship once we're because you know yeah people don't know what these politicians are you deliberately chose them it's well designed to take politicians from another country but what if if partisanship comes in and i'm thinking about you know how did people look at hillary when she cried or uh angela merkel in in terms of of uh, maybe the lack of emotional expression so um yeah no. you know what what should we expect here are we now looking at an effect that is actually not there once we once we factor in partisanship, or is it only among your in party? Yeah, no, that's a really good question, and it's also a question for my third uh, paper, basically. <laughs> so um, yeah, um, there's this uh, also a bias in emotion perception versus in group versus and and out group um, uh, people. So if you see someone from your in group you're more likely to, uh, you're more accurate in emotion perception and you're more likely to rate them the emotion more positively. And uh, yeah, the, the other way around for out-party um, members. So yeah, definitely with this in-party, out-party, um, it, it of course will play a huge effect. Um, and that, that's also why I left it out in this study because I really wanted to focus on the gender effect. 
and we did control for um, uh, ideology, but it didn't have really a ideology of the of the politician, but it didn't really have an effect. And um, yeah, so I it would be super interesting to see to uh, include this in-party, out-party effect and uh, gender and see whether what then would be the, the interaction. So um, whether then, um, well, I can imagine that if you really like, for example, Hillary Clinton and she's very angry, that you, since she's a woman, she might perceive her as more angry, but on the other hand, because you really support her and you, uh, anger is also a sign of passion, you might actually really, um, yeah, um, be happy with that. So it's interesting to see what then actually perception uh, also would show. Uh, yeah, so interesting question and uh, to be continued, uh, I think. Great. Um, Gijs, do you want to wrap up? I think we're... Yeah, um, we're out of time. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, uh, Maike. Um, looking forward to uh, the results of that uh, second study. Actually, third study already, right? <laughs> um, let's. Uh, um, uh, uh, Christian asked whether this will be your tent uh, 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 coffee mug from the Hot Politics Lab. <laughs> but, I still have mine. Yeah. yeah okay. So okay, but you but if it's broken, you can replace it, or maybe you can get one for your partner. That uh, yeah. And Tobias, of course, you will get a hot politics coffee mug as well. I don't have an example with me currently, but uh, I was in my office this week for the first time in a year, and they're still all there. So, uh, well, I think so. I didn't actually count, but uh, uh, so everyone should be getting one uh, at one point in uh, in time. Okay, um, let me uh, spend uh, like one minute on uh, announcing the remainder of the schedule for this academic year. Uh, I have to disappoint you. The next two weeks, there's no hot politics lab because uh, Bert and I need to take some vacation. Uh, and there are a bunch of public holidays as well. So 21st of May will be our next meeting uh, with Cameron Brick, uh, uh, who's an, um, a psychologist uh, expert with expertise in climate psychology. So that's what he will talk about. And then the week after 28th of May, we have a Hot Politics uh, Graduate Friday session again with Nora Schulte talking on the psychopathology of terrorists and uh, with Robin Tuchel. And uh, okay, he just left uh, the building. I just wanted to ask him uh, what his topic would be, but I think it will also be uh, like Tobias, uh, close to Tobias's presentation today. And then uh, uh, the week after June 4th, uh, we have Luz Aldring uh, uh, um, uh, from the Free University of Amsterdam giving a talk. Uh, June uh, 11, uh, uh, we have a uh, uh, to be confirmed uh, 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 speaker. Uh, June 18th, we have the best presentation of the year. It will be me uh, uh, talking about um, uh, using uh, psychophysiology in, in political science. And then uh, the week after that, we'll have the last meeting of the year uh, with a whole bunch of presentations from uh, uh, the um, brain and cognition interns that we currently have running around in the lab. And they will present various experiments that they're doing with uh, using EEG measures and, and, uh, and all kinds of different interesting uh, uh, aspects of politics. So that's going to be a great end of the year. And uh, uh, hopefully, also soon, we'll be starting to we'll start to communicate to you the uh, the program for next year. Okay, uh, that's it for today. It's uh, for already, and uh, I want to wish you a great weekend and a good spring break if if that's up for you. Right. <laughs> okay. See you.